Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to be on episode number seven, and I am super pumped about this episode. I get to interview the owner of UO Outlands, which I have been playing lately. Uh, You can check me out on Twitch under Mustache Gaming TX. I've been playing Outlands uh, just as a new player, just checking it out. Um, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think this is a very rare opportunity to talk to an owner about, you know, kind of, you know, peel back the layers. You know, how did how did Outlands get to where it is? And, you know, what, what you're going to hear, at least I was very surprised to kind of hear like his story on, and what his passion is for UO. It, it definitely is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. Cause I, I don't know, at least for me, I have like a preconceived notion of uh, an owner is, you know, I don't know, maybe someone who's just really running a business. Right. And they don't, they may have kind of lost some of the creative direction or over time, you know, it kind of gets lost in the weeds because, you know, it's very difficult. And, um, his name is Owen. And, and again, we went two hours on this podcast and I felt like we were talking for, you know, damn near 10 minutes. So I definitely am going to plan a follow-up with Owen because, um, you'll see at the end, kind of when he gets a roadmap of, uh, what's going on with Outlands, I'd, I want to chat with him again for sure. Um, because this this shard is just it, it is peaking right now at for population for growth. Uh, I mean we're we're seeing something special here that we have not seen in a very long time. Um, but you know I, I think for me as you know talking to you know Owen where where the buck stops there he is the man. And you kind of get a real human side to, you know, an owner's perspective that you don't really get to see because, you know, everyone's whining, BSing sometimes, complaining, trolling, whatever. But, you know, all these patches, all these design decisions, they fall on his shoulders. And, you know, it's a very tough burden to carry around because out of everyone I've talked to, you know, I don't care what chart it is, you know, these people aren't, you know, doing this for a full-time job, right? That That's kind of the, you know, I would say oddity about all this. You know, they keep the lights on for sure, but, you know, these these guys aren't pulling, you know, a $50,000 uh, salary or something crazy from this. They're just, they're just not, right? So, I mean, this, this is such a passion-fueled project. And, you know, talking to him, you'll see, I mean, we, we go on quite the journey, I will say. And if you guys, you know, really enjoy this, please let me know, email me, comment, um, you know, talk to me for sure. Cause I, I want to get candid feedback. I, I think, I know I really enjoyed it. it. It's so much fun. Um, but I will, um, get this published and I apologize. I was slacking a little bit on the YouTube um, uploading. I didn't, I didn't realize how many people, you know, wanted to see it on YouTube. So once I publish this out, 
Um, I'll get on the YouTube within that day or, or the next day for sure. We'll get it up. So um, without further ado, you know, I'm going to go ahead and roll the clip. And, and I, I, I hope you guys sincerely enjoy this. And uh, we'll uh, see you soon. All righty. All right, folks. Uh, we are live and direct here. Uh, I am with someone who I have been trying to get for a while. And I'm very excited um, that I have the infamous Owen on the podcast and you know folks i can just tell you buckle up because i am very excited to hear what um he has to say so owen i want you to give a you know give me the elevator pitch who you are kind of you know maybe going a little bit about what is you know, how is you oak you know how did it come into your life how did it grow that kind of thing sure so i'm owen i'm one half of the founding team of outlands and I started playing UO in 1999. So I was a member of an online community <laughs> at age 11. Wow. And was playing this sort of rudimentary AI game that was um, kind of a stupid popular thing that I picked up at like a computer summer camp. So it kind of sets the stage. Computer nerd, um, right. very you know, tech forward from a young age really enjoyed playing more with my computer than I did with other people. <laughs> and agree. <laughs> I was told about Ultima Online. So 1999 it were, if you think of UO history, that's T2A is just being released. Right. Um, came out in October of 1998. And this girl that I was friends with on the internet said, you have to check out this game. You know, you can be a wizard and play with a bunch of other people and, um, you know, give it a shot. So. Okay. I'm originally from small town Canada, um, from the West Coast, and finding a game like Ultima Online on the shelves of the nearest computer store wasn't going to happen. So right. Amazon's just started, I think, around then. Um, so I remember special ordering Ultima Online, wow. and the second age box arrived, and I was so excited. You know, it, I read it from front to back. I That manual was... Didn't it come you know, with a semi-thick manual? I think that's when I yeah, saw it too. Yeah, it was battered and beaten, and there was <laughs> this was like pre, you know, pre cell phones and everything else. And right. in, in our house, we had a a basket next to the toilet, and it had magazines and recipe books and everything <laughs> yeah. into it that you could, right. you know, read while you were taking a shit. And that's where the UO manual lived. Yeah, and it was well read. Let me tell you. So, nineteen ninety nine. My mom is terribly afraid of the internet. You know, okay. she doesn't want her business computer to be attached to it. She's worried that, you know, some hacker's interested in the bookkeeping for the family business. So <laughs> right. she's not going to let me use her credit card to sign up for, for an online game, let alone okay. spend $10 a month. You know, that was just ridiculous. Number. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So the options for me were i wasn't gonna play osi so i actually never played the official game servers interesting okay yeah i went straight to the free shard world um and it took a while before any of them were available so i couldn't actually play the game right away um the first server that i played on was called sentinel heights and it okay. was a sphere server run by a husband and wife team very trammel um bank sitter you know ugly hues but Right. They were really dedicated to it. I think that they were um, on disability. They had a lot of time to spend right. on this game, and they really created a family. 
the story as it goes is that Death Raven, who is the administrator, was deaf, so she really enjoyed having this online world to communicate with people and was very keen to create a sense of community. So that really became the virtual chat room, Ultima Online founding right. um, I vision of, of Ultima Online for me was definitely that. And Sentinel Heights went through a bunch of different variations. It was first Sentinel Heights, then it became Epsilon Eridani, like the name of a constellation or something, and then it uh. became Oblivion. And Oblivion was one of the largest trammel free shards ever. That um, rings a bell for me, now that you say that. Okay. Uh, there was a guy named Electro, he hosted it, he took over from Death Raven um, and Jack Frost when they let it go. Okay. And they transitioned from, I think it was TUS 48E and then to the UOX or to no, to then Sphere 51A and then 55E. And then they okay. converted to Run UO ultimately, which was a huge undertaking for a server that had been online for 10 years. You know, yeah. they had to convert their entire code base, all of their accounts and players and everything over to Run UO. And then, anyway, Oblivion was online for quite a while. and. Right from the get-go, I was much more interested in creating and running the game than playing the game. Right. So I petitioned Death Raven when she was running it to let me be a counselor, and that was my first foray into working on an Ultima Online project. Okay. And we're still talking dial-up days, right? I want to set the stage. Well, yeah, we, I was lucky in my hometown because we had cable. Um, wow. Okay. Cable, cable came really quickly. So. I tired of Oblivion and I wanted to do my own thing. And, you know, I had a computer, I had a bit of knowledge and was learning how to code, you know, HTML and PHP and playing around with websites and web design. And sure, like any, you know, precocious 13 year old online <laughs> player, I thought I'd launch my own shard and yeah. Sphere was really turkey. So I just downloaded Sphere and started it up. And I remember telling my mom every night before I went to bed to not turn the computer off because everyone would get disconnected. <laughs> right. you know, all, all 12 players were going to get knocked off. And during the whole Oblivion thing, there was a developer there. He called himself Arast, and he learned how to code for Run UO. So learned C Sharp, taught himself that for the game. And then we kept in touch, and he ultimately... Um, went to college to study um, programming and game design and now okay. has a job working in the industry because of that programming knowledge. And we had always talked about launching a shard together, you know, right. doing a yeah. real, a real project. He would code and somewhere yeah. along the way, um, I guess it was like grade 10 or so. I let Ultima Online go. I yeah. had I had school to focus on. I had aspirations to get into medicine and be a doctor. And I needed to really focus on school. And also, you know, as soon as I got my driver's license, my social view opened. Oh, and I yeah. was you know, enjoying, <laughs> enjoying high school and right. everything that comes with that. So I let Ultima Online go around, around grade 10. But I fondly remember, you know, running home as soon as the bell would ring to play Capture the Flag. Right at six at six o'clock Eastern because I was, <laughs> you know, in the Pacific time zone, and the shard I was playing was on the East Coast. And I'd run home, and uh, there were a, brun a bunch of shards that I played in between. Then um, I left Oblivion. I wasn't really interested in travel anymore. Um, yeah, the idea of UO being a virtual chat room was uh, less interesting than actually playing the game and getting to know how to play the game. 
So there were a variety of popular shards that I played between then and then when I let the game go. Um, so your first, though, introduction to UO was Trammel. That was yeah. what you were used to. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a very, okay. a very creative idea of Ultima Online. You know, right. it wasn't, they, they had no interest in maintaining UO for what it was or, or being authentic to the original game's design. They just used it as an engine to do whatever they wanted. Gotcha. And that really yeah. informed my idea of Ultima Online. You know, they did all kinds of crazy events and quests and they didn't adhere to the lore and they really right. just used it as a base. And um, ultimately, that's kind of where we are with Outlands now is yeah. just using using UO as a base to do whatever we think is interesting. Well, and I think it's it's fascinating to me because like you, you saying that it, it kind of it's making sense why Outlands is kind of shaped the way it is, because you know, in my opinion, Outlands is extremely unique, I will say, in today's, like, UO shards, you know, without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. It's, but we just do whatever we want. I think that's the, the main thing. Um, I think, and this may be fair to say, you do whatever you want. However, it feels very structured, is how right. I would say it, um, because, you know, and we'll go off topic here for a second, but you know, I didn't play Outlands for a little bit because I was really off put by the customization right. because I am, you know, I'm an old guy now, you know, get off my lawn mentality. I, I like the way it was, you know, you know, these typical UO things, but I finally said, okay, let me get over myself for a second. Let me just fire it up and let's just give it an actual chance. Right. <laughs> and, and when I did, it was like, and, and really, I've done my whole Outlands career streaming it, you know, and that was kind of my promise was I'm going to stream my experience. And it's been like, it's really like a new game. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I feel like I'm almost in the wilderness hitting a bear, <laughs> you know, because I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And even, and, and you know, I really appreciate this now. I didn't think I would, but I knew the original UO maps like the back of my hand, you know, Moon Grove, right. Britain. And now I get in here and man, I'm, I'm even on stream making a fool of myself. I don't know how the hell to make it to the moon gate. Cause I'm, <laughs> you know, running up a stair and I'm hitting the dead end. Yeah. I'm like, Oh God, this is yeah. embarrassing. But that's just like, that's really how it was though back then. So, you know, and why, why, where I'm getting at Owen, I guess is you are really recreating some of the experience that you know people have had before by offering something new if that if that makes sense definitely i think we're very cognizant of giving people the nostalgia hit that they want when they when they need it you know right. we have those sorts of hooks that are built in like the fact that andaria looks a lot like britain and that cambria feels a lot like trinsic and right those were intentional choices that we made but even okay. down to different things like um, during our Christmas event or Christmas season, players could farm in dungeons and there were snow globes that were dropping in different dungeon hues. And I got so many messages from people saying, you know, that was their favorite part of OSI was collecting all of the town snow globes. Right. So oh, yeah. I remember for us that. to add in those little things that remind people of the past helps them connect to Ultima Online, but also feel more ingrained in what we're doing on Outlands. Yeah. And um, I think that um, UO in general has a huge barrier of entry. The game obviously now has a 24-year 
history of yeah. growth and additions and a lot of those tangents went off in, in really random and weird directions and <laughs> yeah. it's like a place and a time that you had to be there and you had to know it and you had to read the patch notes and really get involved and also a lot of those moments were when people left it behind because they felt like it went too far away from what they knew as being traditional uo right but it was well, really a conscious decision for luthius and i to not try to make a standard shard because those giants exist in the field already right you know we have our competitors you know namely ultima online forever that does something very specific and Ultima yeah. online renaissance that does something very specific and then there are you know a handful of other shards that are all doing their own thing uh you know some that are trying to mimic exactly what's going on in official uo and just offer it for free right and when we joined up and set out to make Outlands, we knew that we weren't going to just do another shard. You know, we could have easily done that, you know, use the original map and then through, you know, the aspect system and the achievement system and whatever else on top. And it probably would have been a great shard, but I think what really separates Outlands and makes it unique is the fact that it has a custom map. Yeah. And it's exactly for the reason why you described, because you're lost again, you don't know where you're going. Every turnaround, you're finding something new that you've never seen before. You know, some people are still learning about secret passageways or or they're seeing something new or I've added something new and didn't tell anyone and they're discovering oh, it for the first time. And yeah, because I that's I mean, a huge part of the engagement. Just, you know, what you said about collecting stuff and, and I will tell you, you know, me playing even last night, um, I guess a a spider antiquity, I guess like fell on a corpse and i looted it i'm like i don't know what the hell this is and then yeah. you know my chat some, yeah some guys like <laughs> holy crap dude you just got that drop i've been trying for like months you know <laughs> and and this guy's helped me out when i first started i'm like dude i said if you want it man you know i'll, I'll just straight up give it to you i'm like i, I don't at my uo career right now i don't have a way to <laughs> show it off i don't have a house right. i'm like it's just gonna sit in my bank i'm like if you want to give me a couple gold coins for it, dude, you know, I'm all in. But, you know, he helped me at the beginning. And he ended up, I think, he gave me like 95K, which is huge to me. I was like, dude, cool. Like, that is nice. totally awesome. But it was something like that where something drops. And I don't know about you, and I think most people are like this, but I love gambling, right? My And I, I said this on, on a previous episode, and it's really funny, is – my bank account does not reflect my passion for gambling. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I would love to gamble, but it's just the reality is it doesn't happen. But UO kind of gives you that option by, you know, you're either, you know, trying to hoard items, you know, to display, you're trying to get drops in a dungeon or whatever. And I don't know, I don't know why, but I tried some other shards back in the day that had a custom map. And they just didn't, it didn't feel as solid as Outlands feels. Right. Um, and and yeah. so, yeah, I think, you know, I'm talking, about, I think it was, uh, was it Ann Cor I don't know. There was a couple, there was a real poor, I think. Was. Yeah, real poor was a custom map. Yes. So I'll kind of backpedal here and get into creation of Outlands and, yeah. or creation of the map in general. Um, so Arast, who I knew from Oblivion, he and I were going to make a shard. You know, we were talking about, systems that we had in mind or things that we liked or, right. or goals and ideals that we had. And I thought, you know, maybe I could make a map. And 
that was going to be, you know, I've been in the position so many times where I just wanted to be an admin, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to create a project and you know, I had all these ideas and maybe I could make a website or I could, you know, pay for hosting or whatever it might be, but I really had no talent to bring to the development table. Right. And it's, you get tired of trying to convince people or, you know, going to the run forums and saying like, Hey, I'd really love to staff on your shard or I'd love to run a shard. So I thought I could learn how to map. And I had a bit of history of building things in run UO, you know, using the GM tools and building yeah. different things. And so I looked around and I found this program called centered, which is basically like a, what you see is what you get map editor. Okay. And you have control over the terrain mesh and the statics and you can add and remove things and adjust elevations. Really it's, it's as full blown of a map editor for Ultima Online as you can find. Very powerful, very cumbersome, but once you know how to use it, you can really do whatever you envision. Right. So you're only limited by your imagination and the, you know, the obvious limitations of the tile set and the point of view and, and whatever. So yeah. I started to play around with it. And my first <laughs> forehand of mapping was really awful, but <laughs> I wanted to create a capital city and you know, I had an idea that it would be a walled town and there would be a port and I had a checklist of every shop that it had to have, you know, bank, tailor, weaponsmith, whatever. Right. And I made this town and I shared it with Erast and he thought it was cool. And this is, I'm 19 or 20, I guess, okay. at this point. This is second year of university. I've since moved away from home, um, gone away, had left UO in the past, wasn't a member of any community, didn't know anything about the emulation world any, right. anymore. You know, I really took a five-year break or so from UO at that point. And Aras was doing the same thing. He'd gone to school. He didn't really think that he had time. And I wasn't getting any sense of a commitment to a project from him. Right. And I gave up the dream that we would create a shard together. So that partnership kind of faded away. Okay. But I continued to map just for fun. Um, sure. For me, it's a lot like like playing The Sims or Roller Coaster Tycoon or SimCity or whatever, where you have this uh, the ability to create something from nothing. And I guess I have a bit of an artistic streak in me, and I got a lot of joy out of that sort of creation aspect. Right. So yeah. I kept boiling away at it and playing around with different things, and the map started to evolve, and it grew, and it changed, and it went through you know all kinds of variations. But it was always the map that I was working on. You know, it was really my my baby project. Right. So as time went on, I started to research the community and I stumbled upon um, UO Gamers Revelation. And that was, UO Gamers at the time was the Run UO um, headliner. It was run by the founder of Run UO. They had a lot of resources and all the best programmers and they yeah. had hybrid and demise and whatever. What was are. Revelations? The, the, I remember that. The third one. So Revelations was their custom map project. Oh, and okay. Okay. They had released a custom map, and that really piqued my interest that they could do a custom map shard. Yeah. The map wasn't great. I think they bought it from someone they didn't create it themselves. It wasn't purpose built the same right. way that Outland was purpose built. And then I found out about Ralpor. And so there's this gap in time where I've missed. Emporialem, Emporialem 2. Yeah. I remember reading the reading the blog, but I didn't really pay attention. Defiance had come and gone. Um, I was involved with another project called Chrontic, which was huge. It was the largest POL server there ever was. 2,000 wow. players online. It was the buggiest thing that had ever been run. And then 
um, Relpor 2 was out, and I connected with Admirilius. And okay. Luthius mentioned that he had worked on Relpor with Admirilius um, together, and then Relpor 2 was the second, the second coming, the relaunch of the project with some changes. And Admirilius was a really talented uh, map maker. He yeah. did some of the decoration on Outlands to help us get going. Okay. When pre-launch, it was too much for me to decorate every single building in the world, which even the original map doesn't have decoration in every building, but Outland does. Yeah. And I basically approached Admirilius and said, um, hey, this I do some mapping. <laughs> like, do you need anything? Yeah. <laughs> and I had actually downloaded his map and I'd made some modifications to it. And I said, I made this on in your map. Um, like, I'd done a volcano that was attached to a town called Roche which is the same volcano that we have now on Outlands. Uh, okay. Porting it over. And he ended up using it. And then I built a stone dungeon for them, which was called, he called it Mount Owano, because he kept asking me for a name and I kept not having a name for it. <laughs> and so he just called it Mount Owano. <laughs> yeah. And then I built a dungeon for them called, or Mount Owano is now Mount Petrum, but I rebuilt it um, for Outlands. Okay. And then I built another one. He wanted a swamp dungeon. It's called Muskeg Chasm. That became Darkmire Temple with a major overhaul. So that okay. was really my first. It was the first time that I had built anything and I was able to see players walking on it. Right. And, and actually interact with it. Yeah. Interacting with it. It was spawn. It was really exciting. You know, that was kind of a, a rush to have spent so many years working on something or honing a skill or learning how to do something getting to the point where I was comfortable to approach an active shard, one of the most popular shards at the time, say, hey, you know, I'd like to be involved in your project. And then to see it come to fruition, you know, those files oh, yeah. were delivered to everyone. And then to be able to, he gave me counselor privs and I became involved in the community um, and called myself Terminus, I think was my handle at the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Ralpore closed. I was involved. I watched it. I watched Major Decline. It was a really toxic community, just full of assholes. Right. Um, a lot of whom ended up coming to Outlands initially or helping us with our beta. Um, a lot of whom are gone now. And right. I, I connected and made friends with some um, really great people who are still very loyal and, and play Outlands to this day. So Relpor 2 closes and Ancorp 2 is still going. And that's the project that Luthius is involved in. Okay. Yeah. So. I have this idea that I want to run my own shard. You know, I saw Admirilius running Relport 2, and I knew um, that I could do something similar or wanted to do something similar, but maybe with less of the shortfalls of watching projects gone by. Yeah, that makes sense. So, a bit of an elitist, only one the best. Um, and I remember logging onto the UO subreddit, and Luthius had made a post about an expansion for Ancorp 2, and it had all kinds of really cool stuff in it. Um, they just redone Covetous. It was like a dark, under dark world. They had a new ore that they were releasing. They were all new tameables. It was all very, very custom. And right. that just reminded me of all of the custom shit that I used to do when I was 11 and 12. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's but it was just done better. You know, like the taste level had been elevated, but it was still just as creative and just as exciting to me that people were doing that for Ultima Online. Right. So I had set my sights on on Luthius, I don't know if he knew that he was a mark at that point, but I knew that I would infiltrate Ancorp 2 by offering them map work, and Ancorp 2 was failing internally by the time that I got there. It wasn't right. a super uh, positive working environment, and <laughs> yeah. when 
and I was there. I did four dungeon rooms that never got used. Um, Luthius ultimately resigned from the project while I was sitting in the staff channel. It was very tense and uncomfortable. Wow. Um, and that really, I mean, I don't think Luthius would say that he was the reason why Ancorp closed, but it really couldn't continue without him. Even right. though there were other developers on the project, they just didn't have the gumption to continue at the same you know, pace and vision that Luthius had. Well, and I think Luthius is very humble, and I think he undersells what he's able to do. Yeah, it's in, he's insane. It's a, right. it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> what he did. Um, so at that point, I knew that I wanted to be in a relationship, building a project with Luthius, and I think he touched on it in the podcast that you did with him that we would create a shard together. We kept in touch for almost three years. He was coding what he wanted to do and what he wanted to work on. Um, right. He had prototyped the aspect system and the housing system and the vendor system and um, Smart Harvest was on his, his unique ideas. He had overhauled the shipping system, which he'd already done for Encorp 2, made it even bigger and more elaborate. And I just continued to share the map work that I was doing with him. Okay. And we ultimately created Outlands. We, I, I, <laughs> I convinced him to do it. He was very hesitant. Yeah. Uh, he had a lot more experience in the competitive, um, toxic PvP driven <laughs> communities of all yeah. online than I did. And he had been terribly doxxed um, on Ancorp 2. And there were some really heinous, horrendous players that really? treated him really poorly and he didn't know if he wanted to get involved in an ultimate online project again sure knowing the and the commitment and there i am you know naive and excited and uh, i think I'll you do have a fresh job legs. Yeah. yeah very very fresh legs <laughs> in terms of running an ultimate online chart so i somehow convinced him i think i think our pro our individual work just got to be too far along that you know at this point i've spent 5,000 hours, maybe more building this map. And I'm right. thinking, what is the point of all of this wasted time if people aren't going to be able to see it? So I started sharing screenshots of the work that I was doing on Reddit. I kept talking to Luthius. We agreed that we would create something. Um, initially, he couldn't remember the name, but I had pitched New World because it was a, literally a New World. Right. Yeah. New World. You know, he had pitched Wildlands, I think, or something similar to that. And ultimately, he decided on Outlands. And we made Outlands a real thing. Shout out to the name, because I think that sounds a lot better than New World. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and uh, there's an actual New World MMO, right? Yeah, now there is. Yeah. For sure, that wasn't a thing back <laughs> yeah. you know, seven, seven years ago or whatever when we were right. talking about Outlands being a project. So we, we hashed it out. Um, Luthius and I have a really strange working relationship where we don't talk. You know, I don't have, we don't have voice communication. The only time I ever speak to him is when the shard crashes at 4am and I have to call his cell phone and wake him up and, you know, <laughs> get, his, get his help, get it going again. So we really have this like extensive history of typed conversation where we go back and forth and um, we just agreed that he would do, he would be the mechanic brain behind the shard and I would do everything else. Right. So all of the visual aesthetic, obviously the map, the community administration, legality, finances, um, yeah. moderation, community building, website building, um, staff management, commissioning of art, 
everything I do everything but code essentially. Wow. Okay. And we have an interesting creative collaborative relationship where he runs off in his little vacuum for weeks at a time and comes back and says, Hey, I coded this entire system. This is what I think. And I read it over and immediately throw eight curveballs into the mix based on my boots on the ground feedback of dealing with the community and being the one that's, you know, responding to all the feedback and the support. And he (laughs) regretfully marches away and makes all of the changes and comes back and we release a final, a final system. Okay. Yeah. And that's the way our collaborative relationship has worked from the very beginning. That's, Um, you know, it's funny. That's wild that you say that because when I got him on, he said he just bought like either a headset with a mic or something yeah. recently for <laughs> the other podcast. And I'm like, and again, I'm having a, a preconceived notion when I talk to him. I'm like, I told him, I was like, you're so well-spoken and, and you're so damn technical. I'm like, you need to be doing this more often because you, <laughs> you know, cause like I have, I can talk, you know, about stuff, but he can really dial in like, Hey, this mechanic is this way because of, you know, X reason or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. But now go ahead. That's that's his very specific brain. Um, Luthius fires on a different wavelength than the rest of us. And it's not something that I'm really even interested in. Right. Um, I have a general idea, you know, I might want to do like the Mount breeding system was my idea and I pitched it in a certain way and he took it and he, he made it work in a game sense and in a progression sense and in a UO sense. And that's really his forte is taking things and making them work in a gaming environment. Yeah. You take it and run with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And he has a really well-rounded gaming knowledge. I guess he plays a lot of games and he has a lot of different points of view and he's able to apply those sorts of ideas to Ultima online, but also he knows from past experience in UO and past experience in free shards, what works and what doesn't. And a lot of those things are the success of outlet is what he's right. ultimately done with the progression based systems and the things that drive the day to day gameplay on the server. Well, I think you, I mean, you know this for sure that they're, they're <laughs> the UO community, right? Sometimes gets caught in this like circle jerk mentality where it's like, it's just UO and that's it. Any other game, any other system is trash, right? Right. When in fact, and I think, you know, you and and definitely your team seem to do this where, hey, we can look at another game and just kind of see what do they do? What is their style? What's working? And I think that's definitely one thing that we're very mindful of is that we're not, we have no interest in what other servers are doing. Right. Uh, We very much keep our blinders on in terms of development Granted, right now, there aren't a lot of other shards that are doing anything exciting to watch. Um, but that hasn't always been the case. You know, when we were developing Outlands, there were other active servers that were doing interesting things, and we, we kept our eye on them. But now, right. our frame of reference definitely is other games. You know, what are other games doing that are interesting and is successful that we could potentially port into something for Outlands? Um, yeah, how do you make it UO style? Right. Right, and and there are an inherent limitations to what can be done in UO um, or any game, I think. But you know, Strange Lands is a good example of something that maybe doesn't necessarily work because of the limitations of UO. Right, um, where you're supposed to be anonymous and you're going solo and you have your own uh, gameplay, 
but the reality is that there's voice communication, there's serial tracking, there's map tracking there. You know, it's, it's very hard to make you right, an yeah. anonymous single player game when the whole nature of it is that it's an MMO and you play with other people and you're meant to group up. And, you know, so those sometimes the ideas are a little um, bit of a miss. They're yeah. still fun and they, they still work, but they don't always um, hit the mark exactly like we'd hope. Well, but, it's a typical, it looks, you know, on paper, this totally makes sense, but an application, it may not. Right. right. And yeah. we learn, and we learn from that and we rebound and we pivot and we try different things and um, we're, we're always just trying to keep it fresh. So the keep us uh, back on track here. I think I already know this answer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I'm assuming you can answer this. Would, would you ever, I know you've never played OSI, but if they brought back, you know, pre-trammel shard or whatever would that pique your interest at all yeah i think i'd dive into that okay I'm, i don't think it's possible i think that's the main reason why that question's fun to think about because i right. don't think they'd ever do it uh well there's I think rumors we all, that they lost the code i don't know if you've heard yeah that. i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt that i think their version control was really poor and they've gone through so many different developers that they don't have anything archived right um at one point i was well, I still am um, trying to create new clothing, or like wearable, equipable animations yeah. for our games so that we can have what players are wearing on the paper at all match what is in their in, their in-game avatar. And I found the original artist who did it, uh, who did the wow. character animations to see if he still had, you know, an archive of his work from that time. And he didn't have anything, of course. Wow. I mean, it was ages ago. But I think in general, all of that stuff's sort of been lost in time and lost right. in you know, company handoffs from oh, going yeah. from origin to EA to broadsword to mythic to whatever. I'm, it's all uh, yeah. just not there. But I think well, people thought when they saw world of Warcraft doing their classic server, the throwback and the popularity and the hype of that, that maybe UO would uh, well, jump on that. There's certainly demand and a cash grab to be had, right? Let's just all, say it out there it's a business right and you know that would increase revenue for them even if it's short term um you know they would make money off it but i just don't know technically if it's possible i don't think it is yeah uh, i mean it it's so possible that's the thing that's crazy about it is that we could go download a repo for serve uo or for run uo and have an exact replica essentially of t2a in 1999 right. And turn that on and fire it up, and it would be online in three days. You know, the world would <laughs> yeah. be spawned the same way. The monsters would all be the same. Teleporters in place, houses all functioning, whatever. You know, built-in bugs. All of that is is done and available online for free. Yeah. Oh yeah. So think that they can't muster that or look at what's online and available and backported and you know attach their account system and billing system whatever to it is is just kind of disappointing and speaks to how little they actually care about their game and and the only reason why they're keeping it online is because players have houses and they pay their subscription fee and they're right. attached they're attached to some you know interaction they had with their neighbor in in 2003 and it reminds them of a good time in their life yeah oh no for sure so uh, um and I'm, we're gonna probably touch on that here in a second but have you ever i know you've you know obviously you're a shard you know owner right now but have you ever either, you know, led a guild, been involved in a guild, or what has your experiences been with that in UO? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I've never I've never really been deeply ingrained in a guild. Um, sorry, I've got a siren going by. I don't know if you can hear it. Oh, you're good, man. Yeah. Sorry. Um, 
No, I, I haven't ever really been deeply involved in a community other than communities I've created. Right. That makes sense. Um, for better or worse, I'm deeply ingrained in the Outlands community. I know a lot about what's going on, but I've never run a guild, led a guild, or, or been heavily involved in a guild. Um, I often think which guild I would join on Outlands if I right. <laughs> was a player, you know, yeah, who, yeah, I, yeah. who I would want to hang out with, because I definitely keep tabs and, and look around and have relationships with some key people um, on the server, but so no, let me I've ask never... you this. And I don't know. And I think you can, you can say this. I don't know. What is the, and don't, don't tell me the name, but numbers wise, who has the biggest guild? Like, like what, how many people are in that guild? Would you estimate? Uh, I think our biggest guild has 550 characters wow. spread over about 250 accounts. Oh, uh, that's a serious. lot of people think the biggest guild um, a lot of people think the biggest guild is, isn't actually the biggest guild. So if right. you actually dig into the numbers and see yeah. which guild is the largest, you'd probably be surprised to learn who it is. That's um, really cool. So that, that's a I don't, fun I don't one, mind yeah. to tell you our number, the largest guild on Outlands is Path. Okay, um, cool. The, the Knight yeah. Guild is sort of our anti-PK missionaries. Yeah, I've, I've seen them, I've seen them a, a little bit in uh, the dungeons, but I didn't know what they were all about. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, they're one of our, they're one of the original founding guilds. They were really involved in beta, um, particularly um, Are You Kidding in Discord and also Talmains or Dartanyan were involved in Outlands right from the beginning. They came wow. over and brought all their player base from another shard uh, when we launched and they set out to um, make capture the world an right. entire, yeah, make the world right. But also they captured an entire swath of land. Wow. Um, they cornered that entire market. They have their own sort of in-game town, and various enhancements have been added to it because of the role-playing nature that they they bring to the server. No, that, that's they, really cool. They worked with um, Eric on a few quests, and they were really you know instrumental in Osvori Four opening and defending the borders and in the in the quest sort of RP side about lands they're very heavily involved but they get a bad rap because they're also killing all the pks which makes the red population think that there's favoritism on outlands uh, because yeah. of... anyway there always is half the largest yeah. and then um <laughs> lod really came on strong when we launched that was a guild was run by chill who's since um been removed from the shard and okay. now that's face guild which is run by delphi i think they're number two and then beer brothers is number three um that's really wrecked cool. used to be quite strong at that point but then they had some internal falling outs and um, have just you sort of dispersed it down from there and this is more of a and i'm kind of going off the cuff here just because i remember this from back in the day i don't remember if it was on hybrid or if this is osi i don't know but i do remember there was a system where you could go in on a website and you know you could see who the top guild was and who had the most members. Do you remember that? Was it? Gosh, yeah, it's MyUO. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, MyUO is the official UO database, and it, you could go and look up specific characters and see what skills they had and then right. which guild That's they right. were in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Members. I remember the um, Syndicate was always a really big guild on OSI. Yes. They were always, always at the top. I reached out to them when Outlands launched to see if they were still active or wanted to get involved, but I didn't hear back. Um, but yeah, I, I remember using that resource and looking at it and someone, I'm not sure who it was, so probably someone in the UO gamers community ported that to run UO. So my UO ah. does exist for run UO. Um, we've always just felt like it was, um, our general philosophy is that we want to keep everything funneled in game. So that's why okay. all of our 
leaderboards are displayed in game and not on a website and why um, you know, your customizations and achievements and all of your skills and everything are all visible in the game so that people are taken out of the game to go online or they're not using a different, another different platform to view information that we present for them. In the game. That's totally fair. Yeah, no, it's an interesting design decision because, I mean, hell, back in the day, you know, you, you didn't have many ways to present information. It just didn't exist. Right. Where now, yeah, you got... 80 different messaging platforms you get, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. it's outrageous. Yeah. So, okay, I wish that, more that people use, use the forums. You know, there was something so great about the heyday of forums where you could actually right. think about what you wanted to say and formulate your thoughts and ideas and it would actually be read. Whereas now everything's so fleeting and discord and you can really, you know, it's like the YouTube comment section where you just can say whatever you want. All of a sudden you have a platform and it holds weight because you, you know, you're flippantly drunken, right chatting in discord while you're taking a shit you know it's really awful um but yeah, yeah we try to focus our platforms on as few as possible no that makes sense yeah that that real time i think uh definitely has a downside for sure yeah that stream of consciousness it's rough right i, I i've been victim to it many occasions you know speaking my mind when i probably shouldn't have or, or being unfiltered when i should have maybe been more conscious of what i was saying but um for better or worse it, it is what it is yeah, no, I totally understand that. So what what is your, I guess, strategy or plan to attract, you know, new players to Outlands? Or is there one? Like, what is your philosophy on that? Well, we, <laughs> Outlands grew by word of mouth. Um, yeah. I think our initial, you know, we formed the Discord community and we started sharing good work. And I think that that is really, that has been the key to Outland's growth and to attracting new players or players in general was just that we were sharing what we were up to. And the proof's and, in the pudding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, I know like I, you know, you mentioned my, my UO or, or seeing characters online. And I, re, I really, re, I remember going, you know, in the computer lab in elementary school and looking up my UO and my free time because I couldn't play the game, but I could use the website. And uh, okay. I think a lot of people, if they're interested in you or they've had a hit of you or been addicted to you at some point in their <laughs> life, they're interested to see what people are doing that's new with you. Right. And they actively go and search for that. It's why we're so um, transparent with our patch notes and why we share so many images and why we announce what we're doing and, you know, why we keep the community active, because I think that UO fans in general want to see content and they want to be drawn towards something and it might be i recently revamped some dungeons um yeah. players have been asking for a long time that i make dungeons less linear and i fought it and fought it and fought it because i didn't really agree or understand why they were asking for that and i put those um patch notes up with screenshots and i got about like three or four messages which means more people felt that way if that's the number of people that are reaching out and right. they said you know, thank you for making the changes to those dungeons. I'll definitely come back to the shard now. Wow. And I think the key to the success of Outlands is because we are keeping it fresh and we're sharing content and we're presenting it in easily digestible ways. Um, for sure. Yeah. To, the, to the community. So there's that side of things, you know, the active development that we're doing, but then there's also um, the cohesive marketing vision of outlands we have 
one logo that's spread across all platforms. The website and the forums are married together. The launcher looks the same. Right. Um, the logo in Discord is all the same. Expo's YouTube channel, all of the thumbnails are coherent and consistent. That is all a very um, calculated decision that we make in presenting the shard in an elevated way that matches what a AAA gaming studio with a $60 million budget might do. Um, oh, dude, so the, the launcher present, alone is next level. Like, that's an experience. Yeah, so we tried. Uh, I mean, I, there's so many things wrong with the launcher. I could rant on about that forever. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that's it's key to our success that it's easy to access the game and right. that we can deliver new content easily. It's going to be getting easier because it's a bit slow for some people now. Um, but, yeah, it's that very concise vision, marketing vision of, how Outlands portrays itself into the world that is a huge draw to people who are tired of the unreliable free shard community, the right. hack and slash, throwing shit up, you know, buying a template website, whatever. There's just a lot more effort and um, perfectionism applied to everything that we do. Yeah. And then part three of how we attract new players is the advertising that we do. Um, and where are you guys so, advertising? Yeah. We advertise on YouTube, Reddit, okay. Facebook, and Google Ads. Um, we're now on the, depending on where you are, geographically on the first or second page of Google search results when you look for Ultima Online. Really? Wow. Which is um, huge thanks to one of our players who jumped on the SEO and, and made that happen for us. Um, so if you're looking for Ultima Online or you're curious about Ultima Online, chances are you're going to find Outlands. Oh yeah, you're and and you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this. So, yeah, you are. Let me see. One, two, three, four. You're the fifth result, first page, and you're above another competitor, which is so funny. Yeah, that just happened <laughs> yesterday, actually. Oh, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, I got a little like victory text. Um, yeah. From the guy that's helping me with the SEO, and said, <laughs> "Look where you are." On his machine, he was, we were number three, so it was. Um, that's the official, awesome. the official UO website, and then there's some PC gamer article, and then there was Outlands. No, yeah, and you are above that. That that article, Rock Paper Shotgun, is is below now. Okay. So, <laughs> and and I <laughs> for, would tell you, for you this, it's different for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Depending on where you are, and I would tell you, like I just got involved in Twitter and some of these other platforms, dude. I am a fish out of water. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell I'm doing. You know, it, it's a like I guess as advanced as I think I am, social media world, yeah, I, I have no clue, you know, yeah. what I'm doing. We just we just launched the Instagram as well, which is a strange platform to advertise you all on, but I think there's potential with yeah. the graphics and the map work that we've been doing that the um, UO Outlands Instagram would take off in some way. And then Expo does the Twitter, and we've had some interesting tweets from Richard Garriott and um, reposting different things that we're doing. And then, of course, YouTube. Expo does an amazing job of YouTube. Yeah. His real, um, I mean, Expo's my right hand. He's the, the saving grace of, of Outlands and everything that goes on. He's really um, an unsung hero, though I try to sing his praises as, as often as possible. But the YouTube sure. channel is, is really amazing. And his primary focus is making videos for Outlands. And uh, oh, I think yeah. our, launch, our launch video has 20,000 plus views now. Wow. Um, or, or maybe even more, which was a huge. A huge amount for a free chart or, or for any video. Oh no, it's. I mean, I I can just tell you, yeah, it, it's next level. Like like 
and and I think we discussed this, but when I was streaming, I think it was Friday night. I had there's three dudes in there that, I, and again, I'm assuming if you are in my stream because I'm just streaming to UL, I'm not streaming to a general whatever. Like it's very niche. You you're searching for UO, so you have some sort of idea what this right. is. But these three guys came in. They're like, "What game is this?" And I thought yeah. at first, I'm like, "Am I being trolled?" You know, because I'm like, right. "I don't know." But no, they literally had no idea. And I gave them the website and and showed them, you know, here's where you download it. And it, it's crazy for us. We know UO so well. We're like, "Oh, it's just another launcher." But right. to a new person, it, it's very cohesive, right? It makes sense. I think UO UO. Um has at its peak there were two million subscribers so initially there's a lot of people that knew about the game and then as mmos become more popular you know everquest and then right uh, dark age of camelot and then world of warcraft especially blew up the mmo genre and people wonder or you know if they really liked world of warcraft they might think you know what was the first of its kind yeah and that always leads you back to ultima online and it if people are searching for Ultima Online and they're looking for a better experience or they're looking for a free experience instead of locking into a subscription fee, yeah. then they're hopefully going to find Outlands. Um, and if they're savvy on Twitch, then they're going to search for the game and they're going to see all of our streamers. I forgot to mention that a huge part of our advertisement is our streamers. Uh, we do what we can to support them. Yeah, We don't have any official streaming capacity, but... Whenever I see a streamer online or I'm on Twitch, I try to throw them some bits and thank them for what they're doing. Right. Uh, we have some amazing YouTube um, video makers like Trammy, um, Trammy Surprise, and also Tila. And though Blacklist is making videos, um, the Outland sphere just kind of continues to grow organically on its own, and that ultimately draws people in. But then also the public perception and the, the favor that we are in or that um, that the shard is in at any given time has a huge amount to do with the number of referrals that we get. Yeah. As if, really. you're, if you're looking for an Ultima Online shard then, and you're a Reddit user, you would go to the UO subreddit and you would see what's going on. And right now, nine out of 10 posts are about Outlands or people who are looking for shards. And 90% of the comments are people saying, you know, Outlands is really the only choice for you right now. Right. Um, if you want to play UO, you, you, everyone's on Outlands. You know, Outlands is the hottest ticket. That ebbs and flows depends on depending on what we're doing um, in the game or what you know the how the seismograph is charting at the moment in terms of drama or bans or whatever else is happening. It's it's always ebbed and flowed, but yeah, um, that's and that I, seems to be where the majority of our player base comes from. Yeah, and I and I've said this. Uh... The seminar interview yesterday, I was like, I think I'm going to have to do like just a possibly, I don't know, maybe like a once a month just drama episode, you know, because <laughs> that is yeah. like in its own world, right? The yeah. drama, because some of the messages I got on Reddit were just super fascinating, right? On yeah, there's, I mean, there's some yeah. like career trolls <laughs> yeah. on, on Reddit who are, they absolutely hate me. Um, they right. hate Outlands. They will defend the shard they're playing until they're they're blue in the face. Whether it's a better product or not, they just can't part with, you know, what they've paid for, what they've achieved there, and they don't right. want to start again. So they go out of their way to slander um, Outlands until they can slander no more. 
Well, and um, I and I think been subject to a lot of those attacks over the last two years. Yeah, and the only reason I've been able to get people together is because I made it very clear that this is about UO in general. I'm like, I am not pro any one shard, any one person. I am just giving the platform, right, of free shards are a huge part of UO today and before, you know. And I think when I kept it that generic, I got a lot of responses and support. But I think it's like when you get into those weeds of, yeah, like uh, this this episode is like Outlands is the best server, you know, on earth, right? You, <laughs> right. Then you're going to get these trolls coming out the woodwork, right? Where right. it's like, I can just say personally, I've played it. I really enjoy it, you know, right. but you know, that's just my personal, but I've been very public about it and, and very in the open. And, you know, I, I think that's the only way to unify because yeah, the UO community, I mean, I don't even think toxic is perhaps the right word, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's the UO community is crazy, and I really, um, I've been hit upside the head and back again, um, yeah, by the community and by the players, and it's not really fun to be on that side of things, and I think that's why I try to focus so much on creation and making new things and finding the things that that bring me joy in the ultimate online community because it's not dealing with those psychopaths on a daily basis yeah, right um you know my focus is really on maps and creating new art and acquiring new art and working with other talented people if you think we were all you know 11 or 12 or whatever when we picked up the game probably you know nerdy if we were on a computer at that point yeah um We've all grown up to now be, you know, 30 plus, and we're probably working in a similar field to something related to tech or, right. you know, the arts or whatever it might be. And the community is is so talented. You know, there are a lot of talented programmers. There are a lot of talented artists. There are people that are now contributing to open source um, clients and assistants like Classic UO, which is incredible, and oh, Classic yeah. Assist. Um, you know, even the developers that have approached us or that we brought on board, like Jaden, for example, you know, this is like a world-class programmer. You know, he's working yeah. for one of the, the top technology firms in the world. And for fun, he works on Outlands. And that's what I really have to focus on instead of the community, because if you, it's really easy to get stuck in the rut of that craziness. Right. Um, we had some really big personalities when Outlands first launched. Um, and they really took a toll on me. You know, there were times when I would have to get on a dev debrief and put on a, you know, a smile because really all I wanted to do was cry. It was, def it was defeating yeah. to deal with these people. And finally, I just realized that it wasn't fucking worth it. You know, I, right. I, I didn't want to be involved in that. I wasn't going to give them the rise that they wanted out of me because... There's a strange mentality that UO players have, especially in the free shard community, that not only are they playing the game and playing the players, but they're also playing the staff. Right. And oh, yeah. I was so tired of that manipulation that I, I just had to sever it. You know, it, it had to stop. And that ultimately led to, you know, entire subreddits and Discord channels and Twitch streams slandering me and slandering the project. And I think the shocking thing for these people is that they can't imagine that Outlands would survive without them. 
And the exactly. reality is, is that <laughs> removing them from the project made Outlands bigger and better and the community more tolerable and, you know, removing those toxic elements from the game world and from the Discord community made it yeah. so much better for all, for everyone. Um, and definitely for me. So I think and, you've, you've just answered this and I'm sorry to cut you off because I want to ask us because you, you pretty much answered it, but what is what is your biggest like struggle than being an owner? Is it dealing with these toxic people? I th- think you know, like juggling all of those balls, the community balls, yeah. um, is definitely hard. Um, I think I have a fairly level head in terms of you know handing out punishments or dealing with bans in jail time or right. whatever but that i think i think what i struggle with most as an owner is um allowing space for failure okay because yeah. i want perfection and success and the best of the best at all times right and when things happen like you know, a dupe bug where a million gold is created and dispersed into the economy sends me to, you know, fucking through the roof. Right. And those are definitely the hardest moments as an owner to manage through and to then deal with public perception and the PR and the rebound of all of that. You know, even the other yeah. night we had a we had a three and a half hour revert, which is the first time in our online history that we've ever reverted for more than, you know, half an hour. Wow. Okay. And those sorts of things are the are I would say the hardest as an owner because I feel such a responsibility to never let the player base down. Um, right. In exchange for you know their loyalty and their playtime and their commitments to the community, I feel my obligation is that we offer a seamless gaming environment and we do our best by players at all times. So I think that's that's the hardest is the community management and. Um, perception yeah of, of what's going on definitely the players have community have the the herd mentality is able to craft its own narrative really easily oh, you know, it sure. takes it takes one player spinning something the wrong way for it to ignite like a wildfire and all of a sudden <laughs> there's a rumor or a yeah. lie that's happening that um that gets legs and gets followers and and it you know it it carries through the wind and that frustrates me because i know what the truth is and i'm doing my best to do my best and it can it can be a challenge to make sure that the truth is understood or is heard or whether or you know, at least presented wanna, yeah yeah presented like what what is my right and um how can i politely shut people down or, or end things that are incorrect to make sure that you know it all it all stays above board and honest yeah. it's all community it's it's the it's the personal relationships i think that are the hardest part of it all and i hate banning people <laughs> it's like it's the okay, worst yes yeah. and you have to you know not only do you ban them but then you have to continue to deal with them and talk to them and the follow present, yeah yeah the follow the present the proof and you know that the nature of an mmo is that one person plays with 20 people and if you knock off you know a key cog in a wheel then there's ultimately fallout um, oh yeah for sure. You know, they'll go play different games. And we've had many like 
three or four guild leaders that had been banned for various reasons. And that fallout is felt throughout the community. But, you know, they tend to come back in some form. The people who left, you know, they like UO and realize they weren't playing because of that person in general. They were playing because they liked the game. Yeah, right. But that that all kind of falls on my plate to deal with. I'm the final, you know, I'm the judge, jury, and adjudicator. So it's... Okay. Or an undertaker, I should say. And what... Uh, and and to bring this, you know, back to a little bit, you know, of a lighter note, what what's you know, is there anything that's been unexpectedly fun in this whole ride that you didn't expect to like <laughs> that you enjoy, I guess? Yeah, I'm, I've definitely met some amazing people and made some lifelong friends. I think that, you know, the the flip side of the toxic community is that there are some really bright lights and they that's who right. I gravitate towards. So, you know, I think my best friend my best friend in life is a UO player that I met through Wow. Um, playing Ralph Moore, who I've met various times, and we chat. I mean, he lives on the other side of the world, but we we chat daily. You know, right. we're in touch. She knows about my family and life, and I know the same of him. And we've gone on different trips around the world together. And you know, we wow. those are definitely positive, um, positive relationships. That's a that's a bright a bright side of the whole thing. Right. Um, working and collaborating with really incredible people, I think, is huge as well. Um, like Expo, stumbling into Discord and beta and wanting to be a part of our of our project. That was definitely, you know, a bright spot and an unexpected thing for us to find. Expo um, lived in California and worked at Riot Games when League of Legends was launching, and wow. he brought a lot of experience to the table. And then, uh, obviously, gaming experience and UO experience. Well, yeah, because I know the gaming industry in general, it's hard. It's not the most pleasant working environment no matter where you work yeah yeah Yeah, no i mean if he's coming from league that's got to be the most toxic game in the world so he brings a lot to the table in terms of level-headedness and then um you know obviously collaborating with luthius and the creative relationship that i have with him has been really fulfilling um equal measure frustrating but very fulfilling and then having people like you know Jaden and Vorspire and now Cameron and then working with Karasho on classic UO and being able to support those projects and elevate the entire UO world through, you know, our server support and then financial support, all of that really is positive. So um, I get a lot of personal joy out of creating new artwork and building new things and doing things that people have never seen visually in Ultima Online. Right. Um, that's, that's, those are all things that I really love. And I want to get your answer on this because this answer uh, varies from shard to shard. But, um, and I want to preface this with, I am totally okay with, you know, a donation shop of some sort. So I I don't want this to seem like I'm against that. Um, (laughs) But there are very, well, I'm say this, there are various ways it's implemented on a shard. Um, Can you tell me, you know, why or why not? You know, because it seems like to me, in Outlands, it's just cosmetic stuff right. that you can buy. Like, there's nothing, there is no pay to win element. Um, but if, yeah, if you have a million bucks in real life, you want to go spend it on coins, you know, sure, you're going to be wealthy <laughs> in the game, but you're not breaking anything. You're not, you know, getting an edge skill wise. So, right. some shards do offer like skill balls and stuff like that to get you up to speed. Why or why not did you, you know, think of not to do that? Well, we didn't, I think the 
our fundamental principle is that we didn't want to be a pay to win shard. Right. Um, We knew that we could support Outlands, the costs of running Outlands on our own without any amount of contribution from the community. Um, One of our statements when we launched was that, you know, we are committed to longevity and Outlands being online for many years. It's not going to be, you know, a flash in the pan shard. And, And a huge part of that was because I was able to support it financially from the beginning personally. And, right. you know, Luthius and I both have jobs and careers outside of the game that um, pay us well enough to afford a hobby like a free shard. Right. Well, and, you don't have a ton of overhead, it sounded like, either. I mean, well, we start to get more overhead. That's the reason why yeah. <laughs> the donation shop grows. Right. Um, I remember doing that another podcast before we launched, and I. They asked, like, what are you predicting? You know, how many online players would you expect? And at that point, I said 500 would be amazing. You know, if we could hit 500 players online at once, I would be over the moon. But if, you know, if you launch with 500 players, after a year, you have 100 players online. And that's ultimately where I thought Outlands would sit. Sure. We launched in October, the end of October. And by December 2nd, we had 2,000 players online. And the lag was unbearable. And... You know, we needed to upgrade our infrastructure and move forward in ways that would support the community that we were growing. So while I still stand by the fact that I will, you know, pay out of pocket to keep Outlands online for as long as needed, Outlands does support itself as its own entity now. Okay, Um, yeah. Outlands is its own company um, for tax reasons under the law. All of the donations that we receive go via PayPal and they live in their own bank account. And from that bank account, all of our infrastructure is paid for. So that's four okay. servers, um, the web server, and then any staff that are being paid um, or gifts that we are giving or art acquisition or PVP tournament cash prizes or whatever else is all. Outlands is a self-sufficient, self-supporting entity. Cool. And okay. the reason why we keep the prevailing merchant which is our donation shop up to date is simply because people want it um i think a lot of people you know as i said we're all now in our 30s for the most part and a lot of players have respect for what we're doing if they were playing the official servers they'd be paying their 15 dollar a month subscription for sure so in a sense i guess it's a way to entice people to help us keep the shard online by giving them something in exchange for their donation. So yeah, that makes sense. If you send me $15, you're going to get 15 coins and you can go on to the game, go to the merchant and you can buy a new limited edition hue or a special outfit or change your hairstyle or get a little tomb that will help you keep your skill scrolls organized or, you know, whatever it might be, decorate your house. Yeah. Cosmetic uh, stuff. Right. Right. It's, it's all a hundred percent cosmetic. Um, some things we have on the merchant you can't even buy with coins. Like you can't bless a room book with coins because that would be pay to win. But we sell room book bless deeds for gold. Um, and then one key thing that a lot of people don't realize is that you don't need to donate to get anything that's on the donation store because everything's available for gold. Yes. So if all you want to do is play the game, well, you know, you farm like crazy and you play for 15 hours a day, but you don't have. <laughs> ten dollars to spare for 10 coins to get right. the latest limited edition thing you can just go buy it for 200k well and, and i did that uh last night because i needed a room book bless and i went to the merchant and i'm like well it's like i need i don't have coins no no just hit the little scroll thing and i'm like oh yeah. 
Yeah, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I was like, that's really cool. Yeah, so that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So we um, we set the market exchange rate. One coin is twenty thousand gold. Okay. So the in-game economy will never rise above that. Though the Prevalia coin um, exchange rate in the community has changed quite a bit from when we launched. Yeah. When we first sure. went online, I remember people had donated before. Like during beta, and we honored those beta donations uh, for coins when we launched. So I handed all of those out as quickly as possible. And they immediately began to sell them um, for gold because they wanted gold to buy a house or gold to do whatever. And it was 800 gold for one coin when we launched. And now um, we just launched the King's Fair, which is our um, summer annual, now annual event. And there's a few limited edition items that have been added for the week. And I saw that coins were selling for. almost 12,000 gold. Wow. So that the coin economy is really its own. Um, its own <laughs> yeah. It's own living yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a player come in. He was uh, a bit strange, um, but he said, you know, prevailing coins are backed by the U S dollar. It's a real currency. You know, you can track it like the stock market and it's, <laughs> you know, it's its own thing. And I mean, in a way it's true, but we don't really look at it that way. We right. just see, um, you know, you make a donation and a gift in kind, you receive your coins in game, but donations in general come with a lot of weird territory. You know, people think that once they've donated, they get special treatment or once they donate, they can dictate right. the way that the shard develops or, or goes. Um, or even that, you know, once they donate, they're a paying customer. That's a really interesting idea, right. but oh, yeah. it's not the case for us. <laughs> um, you know, if you donate, you're a donator. You're doing what you can to help keep the game you're playing 12 hours a day online, um, keep it progressing. I think a lot of people see value in what they donate on Outlands, where on other servers they donate and they don't really see the same value. Right. Uh, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Some servers are really notorious for having outrageously priced donations and things available <laughs> for real cash. Yeah. Whereas we have decided that nothing on our store will ever be more than $30. Um, no matter what. So that kind of limits what we're able to sell. So in terms of, you know, offering gigantic houses or um, skill balls or things that would be pay to win and have a lot of value, it's just kind of out of the range of what we'd ever sell for anyway. Well, and I think you've touched that financially, you're sustaining, you know, on on your own that you don't even need to enter that category. You know, if it was on life support or something, you know, things are really bad, maybe, but yeah, given what you've outlined, yeah, there, there's just not even a reason for it. I mean, because again, this is my opinion. I, I don't know, but I feel like some of the pay to win is just—it's a very much so a cash grab, is what it feels like to me. For sure, for sure, and I think there's a lack of authenticity for that, especially when you know we're just keeping the lights on. That's yeah. really what what our goal is with with the donation store is just to help Outlands fund itself and fund the cool things that we're delivering, you know, right to our player base. It's people see the value in donations on Outlands, which I think is the key. Yeah. Okay. So, and, uh, gosh, oh, man, we're we're over an hour and I feel like we (laughs) we just started. So I'm going to try to keep us, uh, going here. So I've gotten, (laughs) I only laugh because this question has, has, morphed into something else i didn't think it would so in the history of you playing uo and gosh (laughs) as as an owner you know i I can't wait to hear this but i originally asked it in a way but i'm asking it this way and you can kind of take it where you want i have heard and upon talking with people different ways people have been trolled in uo okay 
Um, and I, I initially thought of this question as a fun one, like, oh, how would you troll someone? But <laughs> what I've realized is people have actually done, you know, trolling. And is there any memorable event where you've seen someone, you know, cause just, just to give you an example, one of the people I've had on here, I haven't posted yet. He, he's like, oh, you know, some guy got like 200 fishing nets and released it on the dude's house. And there were like 500 mobs, you know, that this dude had to clear to get into his house, you know? So is there any memorable things that you can remember of someone trolling? I mean, I deal with trolling all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, let me have it. <laughs> that's, the, that's pretty much like what my inbox is full of, the pages that we deal with. It's the, you know, deciding what the fine line is between, you know, grief, which I stand by as being one of the pillars of what makes Ultima Online um, successful. Yeah. And what is actually, you know, harassment or trolling, or it's just gone too far. Yeah. Uh, I remember when we first, <laughs> one of our very first iDocs, <laughs> on the uh, server um if you have a shovel in outlands you can dig up dirt pretty much anywhere it's a free resource it has no value it's used okay. in the plant system um but you can dig it up endlessly it's and it you know it's not really good for anything right um but if you stack it high enough it blocks movement <laughs> <laughs> so these players were defending an idoc and they, they literally built a maze out of dirt that you had to navigate through to get to <laughs> wow where you, you know, to get to the IDOC to, com to compete with them. And I mean, people were so butthurt that they had to <laughs> run, run through a maze to get right. to where they were going. Um, another example would be, oh, we have a, we have a player named <laughs> Small Rat. He'll probably enjoy this shout out. Um, he comes and goes because he gets, you know, more and more fed up with me asserting my dominance and the shit that he does all the time in the game but he's yeah. really just constantly doing things to fuck with people and <laughs> we have an event called the corpse creek contest which happens every four hours it's one of the pvp events on the schedule and it takes place in corpse creek and okay. small rats a member of the rat guild and they have a guild house in corpse creek and he decided that he would win the event <laughs> and okay. Corpse Creep Contest is it's a large guild-oriented PvP event. They're all running around on mounts, you know, casting spells, whatever. It's it's a competitive sort of King of the Hill vibe. Okay. And he built another maze out of locked boxes and hides. And the <laughs> players were so upset. And he so he built this maze during the off time, you know, just ahead so that the items wouldn't decay. He just ran around and dropped boxes with a script. Uh. You know, they followed him one after one on each tile, and he just stood in the middle and he won the event. Because <laughs> no one and could get to him, right? No one, no one could get to the middle or get to him. Oh, you know, like they could get, any point to get to the center of the circles. And I went through and I mass deleted all of the chests and I put him in jail. And he was just in jail for five minutes. And you, you would have thought that hell had frozen over. I had done the most effective <laughs> thing I possibly could to any player by ruining his ability to do exactly what he wanted to do. Right. And that. I mean, I understand at the base level that Ultima Online is a sandbox and you can do whatever you want to do, but, yeah. you know, the Corpse Creek contest relies on the free movement of PvPers being able to run through the whole area. And if all of right. a sudden I'm allowing people to drop shit everywhere to ruin the events, then it, you know, it doesn't really function as intended or as designed. But that's an interesting idea, too, is that the way we're designing and, and putting content out and how we imagine it working is rarely how it actually works. Oh, yeah. So, that's, I mean, we're, we're trolled constantly. 
but <laughs> yeah. I'm also lied to constantly. That's a hard thing to ever yeah. understand is that, you know, I, people try to swindle me all the time. We have a player who changes his discord handle all the time. And he's always saying like, you know, I just activated my aspect and it, it took all my resources, but it didn't activate my gear. And he'll try it on me and he'll try it on Luthius <laughs> and he'll try it on Expo. And, you know, yeah. he's going to all these people and, then, you know, finally, Luthi's is like, you know what? I'm going to fucking block this guy. Like, I can't. I know it's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's not possible. So finally, I just called him out on it. I was like, you know that you're the only person on the server that this happens to. Right. It's, there's no way that this code can malfunction just for you. Right. That you're trying to activate your command gear and you want six cores every time you do it on every character. <laughs> like, it's just not. It, that's not how this works. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> troll will troll it's definitely part of the game it's taken me a lot to realize when it's important for me to step in and when i can just sit back and let it happen right um when we launched i was definitely much more keen to jump in there and interfere and um yeah it's you know, a fine our, line our, it's a fine line i try not to step over it very often anymore um i know that things will resolve themselves on their own when we launched we had the shrine system it was really popular because it could give players a head start um Okay. So, have you done a shrine, a corrupted shrine? No, I don't think I, because I, I, I did not play when it first came out. What was that? So it still exists. Um, they happen once every twelve hours at random. Um, each of the shrines, like the virtue shrines, yeah. get corrupted, and then wave. It's a sequ sequential wave of monster difficulties that comes spawning at you. Oh. And depending on how much damage you do and how many monsters you kill, and then how much damage you do to the boss at the end, um, determines how many onk tokens you get. And those onk tokens are like loot boxes that you can double click and you either get gold or an item wow, so if you do okay. really well you get like 20 on and it's part of the server ranking system and you know there's a champion in competitions for whoever's doing the best at the shrines and they're quite big events you know that when when we launched they were more popular like 30 to 50 people would go to the shrine and and they'd compete and kill and everything else right. so what we know as being a feluca server and you know it's an open world and reds and everything else um the difference is on Outlands that we have given players the ability to create very effective glass cannon templates right. who do a ton of damage and they make a ton of gold. But in terms of survivability, they have absolutely zero. You know, right. they're, not running, <laughs> yeah. they're not running resist. They don't, you know, in some cases don't have healing because they're using only potions or they don't have wrestling. So they're getting hit all the time a player comes after them. So if you put 30 PVM glass cannon templates over land at a shrine all it really takes is like a skilled group of three or four reds to come and decimate them completely <laughs> right <laughs> and this happened every shrine twice a day with one group of reds who dominated the shrine they'd come in on the last wave they'd kill every blue they'd kill the boss <laughs> on their own you know on their alternate blue characters yeah. would come in once they were done and then the way it works is if you're dead, when the boss dies, you don't get your onk tokens, and they oh. just sit on the corpse, and they're bound to you for 10 minutes. So the red group would just sit on the corpse, they'd kill everyone that came nearby, right. and they'd get all of the onk tokens for the entire event. Oh, jeez. So they got very rich very quickly. They essentially ruined the content for the <laughs> server and for right. who it was intended for. Yeah. And that, you know, was one of the first instances where I realized that... Um, the way you intend content to be delivered and be developed isn't necessarily how it's going to play out. And I remember talking to the guild leader uh, of the raiding guild 
you know, their, their play style was raiding. They didn't want a PVM. They didn't want to do anything. They just wanted to um, raid other guilds that were doing the content and steal it from them, which okay. is a totally valid play style. It wasn't something that I was really familiar with as being a valid play style, but, you know, I learned that it was and that they sure. were talented, much better players than I ever was in UO or am in UO. And, um, yeah, they really ransacked our server for for about six months until um, hmm. it's, the it's... leader got so tired of me talking to him about um, trying to support the community and make the community better. Yeah. And, you know, like shrines are intended for new players to get their feet wet and get themselves started, not that they want to be ransacked. And at that time, we had really lenient red restrictions as well. So that it almost just, is a whole other like, episode, Owen, by the way. Clusterfuck. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, yeah, definitely trolled by players all the time. Watch players troll each other all the time. None of it. I mean, I, I'm a bit more lighthearted about it now, but I don't particularly find it funny all the time. Well, I mean, you know, when you're starting a community, though, too. Like, if I'm, you know, like my character is a bard macer, I have zero like offensive ability other than my macing, which is not even GM. So yeah, when a red rolls on me. I already know if I can't get to a gate, I'm screwed. Uh, I'm not yeah. surviving this engagement and that's fine. Yeah. You know, I just, I realize that, but I think when, especially when the shard first starts, there, there's gotta be a mentality of if I'm rolling people like killing them, decimating every day at this shrine, when you're starting to get people, you're going to run out of people to kill because no one's yeah. going to go there anymore. Right. There's just, yeah, absolutely. And those players yeah. quit. Right. And I think that's the thing that Reds don't really understand because they like to play that prey, uh, you know, wolf and the sheep game. And that's the joy that they get out of it, which is, is totally fine. Um, I think when I was younger, I thought that Reds were, you know, real life murderers. And how could they <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So horrible. But I've, yeah. I've come to learn that, you know, it's just one of your 15 characters that you play and it's a it's a play style that's valid. But what happens is when blues get killed again and again and again, they just stop logging. You know, it's not yeah. fun for them anymore. And that's why red penalties exist and and why we interjected in the shrine system and made well, some changes. And I think I definitely can feel a, a another part two to this conversation because what I've realized and, and just and this is my own anecdotal evidence. I have no other supporting <laughs> things for this, but the red system I know has a, been somewhat of an up and down for some pks right and yeah. i get they're biased i mean you are a pk right. so your purview is only killing people but i've been told you know i think the restrictions are too too much i think they're you know too little so i, right. I really think that's a and i think we'll save that that discussion particularly for another time but i think that is a definitely an interesting one to have because i know i'm used to just a free-for-all like if I see a red, he kills me. I give him a murder count. Well, pff, yeah, I did nothing. Who cares? Just for right. formalities. But it, mentality of players has changed, though. That's the main yeah. thing I think is that the hardcore mentality of you know all of us having the time to restock and find the time to play the game and right. whatever it doesn't quite exist anymore. And games like World of Warcraft shifted the worldview of gamers. Um, right. You know, wanting more of a and I hate the word care bear um, experience, but that's definitely gamers have softened. And that's why hardcore games don't exist and why studios don't launch hardcore games like Ultima Online anymore because no one's going to pay to get fucked over all the time. Well, It's just not. Like, why would you yeah. pay to have a terrible experience if that 
if your idea of a terrible experience is other players attacking you and killing you and taking your things, looting your house and, you know, griefing you to shit and ruining your right. you know, life potentially, you know, it's, it can, there's extremes of everything for sure. I think in terms of our red system, we've definitely swung a little too far into penalties at the moment. And I spend a lot of time advocating for red penalties to be reduced or changing the murder system that we have. And it often falls on, on deaf ears for my collaborators because we see that Outlands is successful and it's successful because we um, manage the sort of nefarious classes in the game and that right. gives people a, a, an environment to foster in and become attached to a community. And Well, yeah, you know, the, I, I think when you hit like, you know, report someone for a murder, it needs to matter for sure. Right. You know, and I feel like, and again, I, I, I honestly don't even know like the whole red like penalty. I don't even know that system, but what I can, what I can tell is it, it really matters and it counts in some way significantly because I've noticed like when reds roll through, there's not many solo there, there are a little bit, but I mean, yeah. you know, it's not as free flowing, but I will say, cause I did get killed. Um, and it was, yeah, it's a pain in the ass, man, to die. Then I got to go res. Then, you know, and this is a new player, right? I have no other accounts, resources. I heal up and I had a guy in my party and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm at your corpse. You know, I'll wait for you here. I was like, okay, cool. But I mean, it took me a good 10, 15 minutes to, you know, run my ass all the way <laughs> back in, yeah. you know, but I'm kind of conditioned to that where, yeah, that's the life of UL. This is the game right. I'm playing. It's not right. easy, you know. So we have new joins, you know, you asked like, I think it's interesting that Outlands gets a lot of new players or players that have never played Ultima Online before, right. and they're coming in with a different mentality that isn't your condition mentality. Yeah. So, you know, the Red community says, you know, penalties are too strict. That's why we're reserved. You know, that's why we group up, because it's a guaranteed kill, and we don't die, and we don't get the lockouts that we're looking for. But yeah. we recently fixed a bug. You know, when we changed the murder system, it was um, we had a Zerg timer built in. So depending on how many people how many reds target a blue and kill them is um, indicative of how long their heat of battle timer is. Yeah. So if you have seven players attacking, like doing damage to one player, you know, dropping one player and they give a murder count, then you have a 14 minute timer before you can use a dungeon gate uh, to okay. get it or go somewhere else. And that's right. the main contention right now is that our murder system is based on time instead of stat loss. Um, there's a bit of gold involved in ours, but it's so menial at this point um, in terms of the server economy that I don't think gold's really any detriment, any red, because they're right. so rich, killing fat yeah. blues easily for so long. And um, But it's the time thing, and time really pisses people off. You know, oh, we, have yeah. we have limited time, and if we make people wait or we steal their time or we make them use time as some method, uh, it's not really well received. So... Anyway, we have a huge PvP patch coming out. We'll probably release the notes um, fairly soon. Okay. Might even be released by the time you get this podcast online. And that has some... Um, we're addressing the murder system in some way, which I think will be uh, positive for murders, but not really make a difference to the blues that they're killing. Right. So well, yeah, satisfy... you're going to hunt me regardless. There's, there's yeah, no... <laughs> exactly. like, no, matter, yeah. no matter what we do to the murder system, reds will be reds. Yeah. And they keep saying, you know, we're only grouping up because of this. But the reality is that it's an MMO and you play with your friends and you, you know, you have more success as a pack. Right. 
killing one person than you do as a solo anyway. Um, especially if you want to farm, you know, hunt PK in one dungeon, like oh yeah, Ossuary, which is always really busy and full of rich players, or Mausoleum. If you're going in as a group, you have more likelihood that you'll be able to stay there and kill more people instead of if you go in as a solo exactly, player. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to be locked out for two hours. Um, well, and um, and I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, kind of the design decisions behind that. Um, you know, just a, a cool, and I'll, I'll keep it brief, but when I was streaming, there was an orc that came in and he started talking to me. And I'm familiar with the orcs. Like, I remember them back in the day. And someone mentioned, oh, like when it's Blood Moon, they'll go to the dungeons and they're just killing everything, everything that moves. Right. And, and I thought, okay, you know, whatever, I don't know. So last night I'm hunting or whatever. And yeah, this orc, and, and I could tell because they had the orc mask on. This He rolls up and this son of a bitch redlines me so fast. I could barely like disable my macro keys to type. Because you know? <laughs> I type, and I finally typed in wait, right? And he, I think he was about to cast like his final e-bolt or something. And I'm redlined. <laughs> and I said, let me offer a tribute. And he stopped. He said something orcish, but he stopped casting. And I gave him all my gold. It was like 3,000 gold. And yeah. he was like, okay. You're good. Yeah. And then he just, yeah. you know, kept going. It was just such a cool, you know, because I will say I'm not an RPer at all. I don't get into it, but I so appreciated that little interaction where he just let me go. You know, <laughs> okay, you paid, you know, I got my shinies. I'm off. <laughs> we, I made some revisions to the main orc fort recently and expanded the bounds, the lawless bounds um, out of it. So they could play... Okay. Um, without red penalties because obviously it's the play style and I wanted to give them a right. bit more of an idea to do that in because dungeons are a bit limiting for them now. Um, yeah, he was by himself. Who had a T-map, a treasure map, and it was in the orc fort and he went in and he was so mad that <laughs> the orcs came and killed him while he was doing his treasure map in a lawless zone, like in their own area. Right. And all I had to ask was like, did you just, did you offer them <laughs> yeah. they would have stopped you know right. you could have given them a, a pile of diamonds and 500 gold and they would have been like great have fun you know yeah. do you need help doing what you're doing it's just it's the, the bare minimum of their role plays that you mm -hmm. well and i i love that they do that you know it's those little flavor things and the orcs do a lot for outlands um so i we're happy to do you know world enhancement for them so that they can you know do their thing well, and it's funny you mentioned like they have a hard time in dungeons. So on the on the flip side, I was grouped up with this guy. We're hunting, and two orcs roll up, and they were in like a pink kind of robe, but they were blue. They weren't gray, but they had the orc mask, so I could tell off the bat. So it, they start like casting wall of stone and just totally trolling us, making it increasingly difficult for us to move around. You know, and and I knew off the cuff. I'm like, okay, I got this. So I'm, I might go up to. One oh, of them, would. yeah, and I think one was a thief, but I'm not sure because my the buddy I'm with, I don't, I didn't know him, but he's just like he, they keep snooping my pack. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, dude, just offer him a tribute, they'll move on. So I talked to one, and I gave him 500 gold. I'm like, here's a tribute. He's like, okay, so they they said some an orc and they leave me alone, but now they're locked on my buddy. I mean, they are on his ass wherever he goes, and I'm like, dude, just offer him a tribute and he's like i'm yeah. not giving them a damn thing i'm like dude <laughs> i said okay they're gonna <laughs> literally follow us the whole time we're in the dungeon and so i ended up paying you know i just gave another hundred gold 
to the guy and I'm like, I'm paying for my friend. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> and then they moved on, you know, but it was just such a cool, like lighthearted experience where the person I'm playing with is like, I'm not giving them a damn thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to pay for you because I'm not dealing with Wall of Stone a right. <laughs> hundred times in the dungeon. Right. But yeah. We have a few different work groups and some of them are more authentic than others. There are some that are, you know, fully decked out in aspect gear and they're, yeah. you know, playing with other groups and they're not speaking in the Orcish tongue. But then we have the very authentic Orcish groups that try to stick to. Oh, yeah. They were speaking time. in Orc. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Definitely fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I, oh, and this has been like phenomenal. I, I just, I'm, I'm causing it of time. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow, I want to follow this up to speak to you more for sure. Cause I feel like we barely scratched the surface of some of the mechanics I really wanted to ask. Um, but as kind of a final question, and this is your purview as an owner, you know, if you had a blank check, right, what would you use it on for the shard? You know, what, what would you do with it? Well, I think I'd probably more healthily reimburse the people that are working for us yeah uh, we have a lot of really amazing support staff who we don't pay right uh, they're all volunteers like secret and secret man and airy and um, eric gray you know they're all really diligent contributors to our community and we're so right. grateful for it and i do what i can to um you know send them a bonus if something does well or you know give them something tangible that they can sure yeah they can use um so i would love to be able to put some more people on staff i think that would be awesome if we have more full-time staff uh especially like multi-language support staff because yeah. we have such a huge korean community and a russian community and i think having liaisons that actually spoke the language would really help us in terms of um support and growth for Bridging sure in the gap yeah for sure yeah, yeah bridge that gap i think it would be really amazing to franchise outlands in some way um and by that i mean like opening outlands asia or opening outlands europe and giving people the connectivity that they deserve wow you know, that's our, interesting our korean players are connecting they've got a 350 millisecond ping at the right. minimum and they're you know competing at the highest level and we have players that are bitching about you know ping spikes to 55 milliseconds and you're like <laughs> you know the people you're playing against are you know they they've never seen uh yellow ping meter in CUO, let alone a green ping meter. Right. They're constantly dealing with lag. So yeah, I mean expanding that infrastructure and being able to support people um or afford support people to run those sorts of projects I think would be really cool. And I would love to um this will never probably never happen because we don't ever want to split our player base, but I'd love to launch another shard or a sister shard with completely different mechanics. Wow. You know, like a, di okay. a different era entirely, but take the bones of what makes Outlands great and apply different mechanics to it just right. to capture the entire remaining UO player base under one shard umbrella, you know, like the Outlands umbrella. So kind of like what like UO gamers did, right? A similar fashion. Yeah, yeah kind of. I guess so. Um, but yeah, like do it, do it the Outlands way. Yeah. For sure. But I think that's it. I'm, I mean, I, we we never really started this for for the money. Right, you know, yeah. I, no, no, yeah. I remember talking to Luthius really early on about Ancorp, and they were online for 18 months, and they made $20,000. Yeah. That whole time. And it was sitting in the PayPal account, and they used it to pay their hosting costs, and everyone was volunteering, and they did it all for free. 
and they divided it amongst themselves. You know, when it closed, there were four of them, so they each got five thousand dollars. They were pretty stoked about it. Right. You know, that was that was a nice bonus in the end of it all. And then PayPal reported them to the IRS. They had to pay tax on it, so they all had to send their money back <laughs> to the <central laughs> person yeah. and, and pay their taxes and divide it out again. And you know, that was the idea that I had of Outlands. Right. You know, the the potential financial success of the shard was like, okay, you know, it might cover its hosting costs. It right. might cover the cost of infrastructure, or maybe, you know, I'll be able to buy a new laptop that I can use when I'm traveling to run the shard on, or yeah. maybe it could pay my phone bill if I, because I have Discord on my phone all the time. Sure. So yeah. I think, you know, a bit more cash would be, <laughs> would be nice for sure, but I don't know if it would necessarily make the product better or if it would just make it bigger and more available. Do you so think it's really in a sweet spot right now? Do you think with the amount of players you have now in terms of design and everything, are you reaching a point where you're having to revisit things that you never thought you would just because oh, you yeah, have absolutely. people? Absolutely. We have over thirty one thousand active accounts right now. Wow. So over seventy five thousand characters have been made. Um we have a housing crisis <laughs> on the shard. As a new we player, created, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we created the in system because that was kind of a, a temporary fix to allow players a place to lay their head and have a chest and log out of. Right. Uh, now there's over 140 in rooms that are rented, which I think explains the shortage of housing. Um, housing in UO, I mean, we could have a whole podcast about housing in UO. If you right. Want, but yeah. I think like, if you think of UO launching in 1997 or late 1996, then by 1998, they had a full expansion released already right? Uh, for T2A. And now Outlands is coming up along that timeline. And we need to think about some kind of an expansion just to accommodate more people. I think having a house is really key for people feeling like they're embedded in the community and belong in a game or in an active game world. So that's definitely something that we're, that I'm actively thinking about is how can we accommodate more people properly yeah uh, just in terms of online players like our infrastructure i think we're in a really great place right now okay uh, yesterday we had over 1650 players online during the king's wow. store launch and the shard ran just fine right uh, yeah whereas during launch days that would have i mean it was melting it was wow. it was struggling to keep up it was impossible to play but the work that Jaden's done in terms of server optimization is really incredible um you know, we used to have 15 second saves and now they cap out at, at 3.2 seconds or 3.5 seconds. Right. And that we will just get better. Um, we brought Cameron on board. He was the developer of Defiance. He's a oh, full-time okay. um, professional developer as well, working for one of the top tech companies in the world. And he's rewriting Run UO into an application called Modern UO, which is really the future of Ultima Online emulation and a lot of what he's working on, Jaden is guiding him through and they're collaborating on and we trial all of that on Outlands. So wow. okay. that's where our, um, you know, our timer system and the infrastructure and our save system and everything comes from. And the next big thing that they're working on is the net stack, which is essentially the way that the server communicates with the players. Right. And I'd say about 50% of our CPU overhead, which is, you know, if players aren't experiencing network lag, they're experiencing our server CPU lag. But right. right now, the CPU doesn't ever get to a point where it's unable to support the server, but 50% of our CPU usage goes to the net stack. So wow. they're working to rewrite that in a more effective way. 
and sure. that will make a huge difference in the number you know we could we could really scale limitlessly um up so long as people feel like they can they can play but even with 1600 players online you know we average between 1100 and 1500 players any given day right we rarely drop below a thousand um you know maybe like 4 a.m on a wednesday night <laughs> yeah. we have 950 players online or something like that wow. but um any more than you know 1500 players online and the dungeons are over farmed and the cities are let, you know too crowded and that's yeah. causing lag and um there's obviously nowhere to put a house anymore that's a, a good problem and a bad problem but there's um definitely scaling scaling issues at that point you know yeah, it's one of right. the reasons why the official uo servers had so many shards because they had to spread their player base around and also it improved connectivity for people that were connecting from around the world you know they had their asian shards and australian shards and right. oh yeah a bunch of different american shards so it's i mean that's one thing that we might yeah no that's fair and now to bring this home um because i think you've you already kind of touched on it um you know to wrap this thing up what are some <laughs> like and, and you know you can give me the elevator pitch if you want but what are some upcoming things that you're allowed to talk about that you know maybe people don't know are coming or you know are on the docket sure um client exclusivity is huge we've been working with classic uo for a long time to get that off the ground and we want to get everybody onto one client so that people are on an even playing field yeah that's been something that we've been talking about for a long time and it's actually coming to fruition right now um we just phased out razor which is what people who are on ancient computers were most likely using so yeah. we're kind of alienating a player base but we're slowly getting them over to a more modern client oh yeah uh, Ultimately, we want to phase out Steam entirely because it's not open source and we can't support it as deeply as we would like to. And everybody will be on Classic UO with a client that or an assistant that we can support um, and be open source. Sure. So yeah. we had, there's a lot of issues. To, um, traditionally, a UO server would manage their accounts based on IPs, but because of the invent of um, VPNs or GPNs, IPs aren't really a. Uh, <laughs> right. A, reliable way to manage a population or a player base or even an identifier for anybody because you can create a completely you know anonymous account right one button for a free vpn in your web browser and all of a sudden <laughs> we don't know who you are or where you're connecting from or, or anything yep. else and that's been a bit of a plague for us in terms of um, house ownership and also people who are doing illicit things like maybe selling gold for cash or you know different things that sort of detective admin owen has to figure out um, using IP as a as a mark for that is really difficult. Right. So part of the reason why we're going to a single client is so that we can add some enhanced client security and have different identifiers for each player so we can actually manage our player base properly. That makes um, sense. So that's, okay. that's huge for us. It's no different than what um, Blizzard is doing or Steam is doing or EA yeah. is doing. You yeah, know, they're yeah, collecting yeah. that information from you and we're also going to collect that information from you shortly. Got it. So, okay. We also have a huge, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I'm just gonna have a drink of water. Yeah, no worries. I think you mentioned uh, PvP patch. Yeah, so <coughs> we have the PvP patch coming. Um, Luthius likes to do overhauls. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's never really. <laughs> yeah. Small tweaks or bug fixes. Um, 
the current PVP system that we have it, as it stands came out last September. And okay. it's kind of been riddled with bugs that have never really been addressed, which isn't like us, but there's only so much of certain communities within the community that we can handle. And PVP, the PVP community is particularly difficult to pin down for any amount of meaningful conversation or change. Yes, uh, I agree. Or even, or even beta testing. So we have been working on this PVP overhaul. We put it out and we redacted it um, or retracted it, I guess. And went through some more internals based on feedback and Luthius, you know, in his amazing mind came up with not only listen to the changes that players were asking for or the things that players were asking us to leave alone, but also came up with some new mechanics to address changes that he had made previously, which I think are really positive. So yeah. there's some big changes coming, but I think ultimately they're really for the best. Um, the most exciting thing that I can talk about in that is a system called Stitch and Rifts, which, like we touched on earlier, is borrowed from another game. Um, Albion Online has their Hellgate system, and we thought, how can we port this into Ultima Online? Okay. Really, Albion, I don't know. I mean, I think Albion's been successful, but the most successful part of it has definitely been their Hellgate system. Right. And it's a small group versus group system. Um, one thing that Outlands definitely lacks in its sphere of PvP events is set small group interactions right we have yeah. town struggles which are great for solo players and then we have castle sieges which are guild versus guild but it's you know ultimately the largest group wins and then corpse creek contest is um a large group you know yeah. i don't want to say zerg it's group versus group it's typically like five to ten players per side for a few major guilds on the server competing and then dungeon flashpoints are like a tamer pvm um, pve solo thing. I gotcha, okay. So anyway, we're killing Castle Sieges because it hasn't really been successful to pan out the way we want it to, which is cool because we'll then be able to use the castles for other things like role-playing events or announcements or, you know, the king addressing the crowd for right. King's Fair or whatever yeah. it might be. So that's cool. There are really beautiful areas in the map that we'll now once again have access to and we're replacing it with a system called Stygian Rifts, which is a 3v3 um, small oh, set wow. group okay. event that will happen once every four hours on rotation. And part of the map patch that I just released is introducing those initial um, starting point rooms. They're 32 by 32 rooms on the first level of each dungeon, and they're lawless. And there will be a item in the middle, like a destructible static, and depending on how much damage you do to it, it does to you, and whoever does the most damage is considered the rift leader. And wow. they can form their team, and they get thrown into a queue, and they fight, and it's all ELO ranked. And it should be a really in-depth, um, competitive system for us which i'm really excited about and it's something that i've been pushing for luthius of course hesitant to do anything that borrows so closely from another game but i think we're now far enough away that it's really just the bones of an idea that we've right. taken and have shifted into something for uo what's the timeline on that in terms of release yeah we'll probably be testing next week wow okay so that's a huge so um if it awesome. functions in a way that is attractive to the player base and doesn't require too many tweaks, it's done. So hopefully we can get that out soon. Wow. That's... Uh, that'll come part and parcel with the whole PvP patch, which right. is the, all the changes to murder restrictions, some PvP mechanic changes, um, some adjustments to tamer PvP and poison in PvP, and then the Stygian Rift system. And it Sounds like we'll have to have a conversation about all the butthurt that will probably ensue <laughs> <laughs> right after that <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's, 
it's always the the curse of right. patch notes is that you can have 99 things that are absolutely incredible and will progress the shard further than ever before. And then you have the one thing that alters taming and the whole patch is shit and it doesn't matter. You know, it's the only yeah. thing people focus on the one oh, yeah. percent of that patch because it impacts so much of the game. But I think it's really necessary for that change to be made. Um, so we'll see how that how that goes. No, for sure. And brace, your, brace yourself for impact. Yeah, uh, and I think you know, and and thank you, Owen, for sharing you know, your candid feedback because it's very difficult for a lot of people to fully understand, you know, what it not only takes mentally, you know, financially, physically to run a shard, but to have meaningful logical design decisions behind it because a lot of times it's this knee-jerk reaction of oh you know you must have been in a room and you threw a dart at the board whatever it's yeah. stuck on that's what we're yeah, going to yeah. modify you know yeah uh, <laughs> you we, know. I mean, we produce more content than any other uo shard right in history i think but sometimes i feel like we move at a glacial pace on certain things and that's in intention yeah sure um, it takes us time to figure things out. I'm often the more reactionary one when people are hounding me for certain things. It makes sense for me to change something immediately. And I'll go straight yeah. to Luthi and say, you know, like next patch, this needs to change. And he'll, you know, very methodically outline why things are the way they are. Yeah. And that changes my perspective as well. Bring you back to reality. Yeah. <laughs> Bring you back to reality. Yeah. And, like, and then you realize that people lobby for themselves and the character that they play. Of course. Yeah. Whether it's real or not. You know, thankfully, we have a lot of players that are honest and with us as well. And we can rely on them for their feedback. But there's yeah. definitely, you know, they have a, their own alliances to the characters that they play and to the guilds that they're in and the money that they're making. And you know, like treasure maps probably need to be nerfed right now. They're, really lucrative and you know the moment you bring that up with people the you know they're up in arms they're making oh yeah in-game living off of treasure map but right no of course, okay the taming system so in-depth and i'd say 80 percent of characters on outlands have a tamer and they play yep. a tamer because it's easy and it's lucrative but the thing with taming is that it's number one in pbm and it's number one in pvp and that isn't the same for any other class you right know, find, that's find true. me a tank tank mage that's top of the boss charts you know it just yeah. doesn't happen. whereas we have top level pvp tamers and top level pvm tamers who are just dominating everything so we have to make shifts eventually you know sadly people will just remember the nerf they don't remember the buffs right oh yeah they that's don't just remember so the incredible patch and all the content it brought um but they'll focus on the one note in there yeah so Oh no, for sure. But um we'll never learn though. We'll all we will continue to do it. You know, it should just sit on its own. Like this patch on D Day was yeah. tamer, you know, the one tamer note. But <laughs> it's always embedded in some other, you know, incredible patch that just doesn't get the reserves. No, and and I think from a player, you know, definitely thank you for everything you guys do because it's uh it's a blast playing. Um and I think um you know, I'm definitely going to hit you up again for another chat. And I think perhaps maybe after the patch goes live, that might be kind of fair to kind of see yeah, where, sure. where things stand. And, and I think it's, you know, and, and everyone that's listening to that, this, you know, this is not a outlands thing, but this is more of a shard owner thing, because I can tell you, you know, as a one man operation, getting people 
scheduled and, and, you know, just talking to someone takes a lot of freaking time. And it's very rare, I will say, that you get to hear a shard owner's experience is, is my kind of take. And, and hopefully, Owen, for you too, it's cool to give candid feedback to everyone that may not understand what's behind the curtain, you know? Yeah, it's weird to talk about it out loud. You know, it's yeah. not something I run around <laughs> in my daily life chatting about. Um, not that I'm ashamed of Outlands or the work that I do in an Ultima Online community, but um, it's definitely been more normalized to speak out loud between doing our development debriefs and chatting with, you know, a few podcasts and you know, right. obviously chatting with you and also chatting with, you know, my staff to talk out loud and, you know, say these words out loud. Um, it's gotten a bit more comfortable, but... Yeah, no. Um, I think also the way that I portray myself over text is often, you know, um, authoritative and de definitive, succinct, whereas yeah. my personality, you know, my candid nature or sense of humor comes across a bit more fluidly over voice. So I'm well, yeah. always happy to hop on a podcast and, and just chat about things. Yeah, there, you know, on, on text, there's just no connotation. You know, I have no idea if you're going to kiss me on the cheek or slap me on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, right? One of my favorite things <laughs> in the Alliance community is um, very early on, one of the players went through and searched for every time I said fuck in the Discord. <laughs> yeah. And they put a collage together and they called it the fuck collage. And it's just a bunch of me. <laughs> fuck off. Go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Fuck, fuck, fuck. And now someone's just updated it recently and they changed it from a fuck collage to a fuck wall it's just like a huge graphic of all like me being inappropriate and saying terrible things so awesome. i have to i have to give my you know luthius a lot of credit for putting up with me and the way i handle things but i, I just do my best to get no we're human yeah no one's a robot for sure yeah uh, well that's i mean that's a whole other story but let me tell you players want you to be friendly and colloquial and personal yeah no, but for sure. They also want you to be professional. And that's, you know, if you're too robotic, they're saying you're impersonal. If you're too personal, they want you to be more professional. It's really, you know, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. So no, what you, you get, can't win. Yeah. What you get is just me and how I'm feeling that day. And it depends on the amount of abuse I've already dealt with before you get in the queue. So, right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I ask, you know, Hey, have you, uh, <laughs> how are you feeling today, buddy? <laughs> yeah, how are things going? Right. Um, anyway, it's really been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for having me. Um, I yes. think it's so important for um, the community to have these sorts of resources. And I was so excited when the Inside Outland podcast came. And I think that it's great that content creators are coming back onto the scene and are, are creating content for the Outlands, not for, for the Outlands community, but also for the UO community at large. So, right. Thank you for your time and your effort in doing this and for, for having me and Luthius on. Um, we're, we're huge supporters of the UO community at large, and we want the UO community to exist and, and have longevity. And, you know, we're trying to push it as far along as we can on our own. And, yeah. and that takes support of a community behind us. So what you're doing is just as important as what we're doing. It's just a different. Yeah. Different and goal. I think you know this too, that, you know, nothing will unify UO than like just keeping it generic and like empowering UO as a whole, right? Because sure. as toxic and as trolling as we all are, we will defend UO probably till we're 80 years old. If I hear someone say World of Warcraft God, is the God. first MMO, right? I'll just, 
I'll, I'll lose my mind. Hit, hit you with my cane. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, um, at this point, I can't imagine my life without Outlands. Um, right. Yugo has obviously been a part of it for so long. I don't know if that's a healthy mentality to have as a you know a grown adult with a family and a career, but there are worse vices. <laughs> I think so. I think so. You Uo has been good to me, and I hope that. Um, you know, it's exciting to think that I may have cemented myself in the the history of the UO world. Oh yeah, um, as the shard administrator and, and one half of the creative team of Outlands, um, which is now the largest Ultima Online shard in the world. Yeah, no, I, I much appreciated. All right, well, we're gonna wrap up right now, Owen. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say? Parting words. Uh, you know, now's the time. Well, if you haven't checked out the King's Fair, go. It's really peak uo on outline it's we had a ton of fun creating it and a ton of fun watching people have fun playing it so takes no skill it's like nothing you've ever seen before go check out the games fair and where can people find you where like what you know where are you at oh uh, <laughs> in discord all the time <laughs> yeah. you can email me owen at com. you can hit me up in the forums um any of our you know, various platforms but discord's definitely the main place to reach out Got it. Okay. All right. Well, again, much appreciated, and I'm sure we will be talking again soon. Sweet. Thanks for having me. All righty.